The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Welcome to another episode of Story World, here with my boy Alex. What's up, man? Oh, you know, it's just hanging in there as always. How are you doing, Steve? Yeah, that's that. Um, great. I'm, I'm fantastic. Although, I'm a little nervous because we have no notes going into this podcast. Ooh, episode. we've had a few episodes like that. Yeah, we're totally, totally off the cuff here. And so this could either last five minutes or five hours. I'm not sure which, so buckle up tight. I know which way I'd be leading right. to. <laughs> yeah, same, same, right? I'm tired. Um, So, anyway. That's good. So uh, this is actually going to be the third and uh, I think final episode yep. in our series on the importance of backgrounds mm -hmm. and, and the importance of backstories. And uh, to catch you up at, at this point, we've talked about the importance of backstory and background in fiction, as well as in the marketing world. And on this one, I'm not sure that we have a better title. Maybe we will by the time the episode comes out. Uh, but for right now, we're kind of calling this real life backgrounds and, mm -hmm. and real life backstories. And uh, we might both have a, a similar take, maybe a little different take on this, but, but just to kind of set us up, Alex, I'm sort of curious you know, what you're thinking when it comes to this, this topic. Oh, well, gee, thanks for putting you on the spot, Steve. I don't have any notes. So, um, yeah, so what we, we kind of thought of real life backgrounds, I guess I, I kind of thought about the, the whole series first while kind of relating to, we were watching, um, a UFC fight a couple of weeks ago and, uh, just really getting into watching some of, uh, Oliveira's stuff. And, um, uh, we both, it's funny. I told Steve, I recommended him watch a video and he said, I just watched that video. And it yeah. was just kind of a 11 minute uh, montage of all the submissions that Oliveira has had over the past, I guess, 10 years of his career. And just watching, um, just watching that 11 minute clip, of course, every fighter you can always see, um, you know, different than top five knockouts or top 10 submissions or this or that. But it was in chronological order from like his pretty sure it showed every single submission if not every single one the main ones from the beginning of his career all the way up to the most recent one and just seeing it in a chronological form like that um and hearing like what the announcers had to say during those fights about him it would change along the way so at first it was man this you know this kid has a lot of excitement and this and that and then it moved to this guy is becoming one of the best submission artists you know in in the in the ufc to like this guy is the best and so just that little bit of not even a background into his life but just seeing the background of his success coming up through um how important that was for me just really affirming like yes i am an Oliveira fan like this guy is it for sure for sure and not to make this the you know the charles uh dubronx Oliveira episode uh <laughs> But it's it's fascinating because, you know, again, he was this kid or whatever, and now he's got more submissions than anybody mm. in, the, in the history of the UFC. 
when you hear him talk, he he. It's almost kind of weird, to, if I'm being honest. But he refers that he's Brazilian, so he doesn't really speak great English. But but in his, you know, he refers to himself as, you know, the chosen one. He, <laughs> he's got he's got tattoos um, that uh, of people like across his chest who are obviously like very important figures for different reasons. And so what I'm getting at is he's, um, he is sort of unintentionally and so i think there is a an intentional and unintentional thing going on here and that's kind of the way that i wanted to sort of look at the distinction and start talking about this because with the marketing stuff now uh and the ufc example you bring up is actually a great one because there's sort of two um things that matter when you're when you're doing a a you know, a thing like that. Um, one is skill and the other is showmanship. Um, so we actually, you could actually relate this back to even our coverage of the movie, uh, The Prestige, mm-hmm. we talked about very recently, where there were sort of these two things going on. There was there was the skill um, and then there was the showmanship. Um, and so it, for sure, you have a level of showmanship that has to come in and, and arguably the most successful fighters are going to have the uh you know are, are going to be checking off all the boxes on the skill and the showmanship angle but there's a little something extra special that happens when there is some things that happen unintentionally for example you know the tattoos across the chest now of course of course the tattoos across i mean he decided to get the tattoos uh, yeah. you know across the chest but i but i also kind of doubt that the tattoos across the chest were an intentional marketing ploy for charles for charles Oliveira. i think they were personal inspiration i think they mean something to him and that sort of invites you into a story where you start to maybe get more intrigued and you start to wonder well i wonder what this guy's life is like i wonder what his background is like i wonder what kind of family he comes from i wonder about um and then you learn other things just to, again, continue with his example. Like uh, one of the guys who I watched on the fight night this past week, um, Oliveira was in his corner and he's Brazilian and they're on the same mm-hmm. team. And now this dude, part of his real life background unintentionally is that he is a guy who trains with Charles Oliveira. And it matters because the announcers even drew attention mm-hmm. to that. Like how much, like how many like props and 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 just respect and like how it makes this guy more dynamic and interesting simply because this other dynamic and interesting guy is sitting in his corner and so you sort yeah. of you know you really start it's, digging into people it's interesting where um both marketing and and fiction but for fiction how you think about the the world building and creating a background for your world your character and the backstory to it all but like what you just said, when you see the same thing with uh, Khabib, he, I think he is training um, someone also from where he's from. Kazakhstan, I think is where he's from. And um, and so when you see him um, training or being in the corner with uh, with this new fighter, it's even though you don't think it in this terms, it's you're thinking, oh, this new fighter is in Khabib's world. And I know what Khabib's world is like because I followed him for the past few years. I know his fighting. So now yeah. this is a little bit more of a world that I get to join in and, you know, connect the dots. And so almost in a really kind of like how we look at fictitious stories and everything, your your mind kind of works like that and looks at it as it's, you know, this is this, this is their own backstory and you're interested in it. And it's a, it's just kind of funny how that plays with your mind like that. Yeah, for sure. And and so some people just just are 
a little more interesting than, than others. And this is yeah. where vulnerability comes in. I actually think a lot of people are very interesting. The, but the irony of it is, is that most people won't be vulnerable because they're afraid that if they share too much, people might start to dig out skeletons from their closet. Or a lot of people who suffer from what they call imposter syndrome deal with this. It's like you don't want to open up too much because then they might find out that you're actually a fake or and that you really didn't put the work in or or, or whatever. Um, whereas that's actually not not the case. In most cases, when you are vulnerable with with people in the way that you share, um, what you're doing is letting people see a side of you that makes you a lot more human. Uh, we did talk about this a little bit, not to get off on a tangent, but with the fiction stuff, even though you're not the biggest MCU fan, um, especially back in the early days of DC Comics versus um, um, the Marvel Comics, one of the reasons why people uh, really flocked to Marvel was that Stan Lee was obsessed with making sure that his characters were human and very relatable. Mm. Um, Spider-Man, and, and I won't go here forever because we talked about it before, but Spider-Man might be Spider-Man, but he's still an awkward teenager when he gets to high school. Um, and, and so these are the sorts of things that sometimes you don't have any control over. You know, I would argue that a lot of times, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan, especially from the marketing angle, as we talked about, of of capitalizing on certain stories and and even even pulling out and designing certain stories to help you serve your sales and stuff. But some things that happen are just fundamentally interesting uh, things about you that might uh, identify uh, people with you. And maybe just to give an example, and there's some other directions that I think we want to go, for example, with influencers and maybe some, some mission stuff. But just from my own life, um, you know, a very practical thing is that on the about page of my business, uh, of, of, about me on my on my business website and also on my blog, um, I share some things that I'm into as a person that have nothing to do with business. For example, the fact that I work in Christian ministry, the fact that I eat a ketogenic diet, um, you know, uh, the the fact that I love music, um, as a you know that I'm I'm a musician and this that and the other. So I try to share some personal details that uh, they're not there for any marketing purpose. Um, what they're there for is just to make sure that people know who I am as a as a character, um, as a as a as a person. Uh, I'm not some you know I'm not Steve the marketing guy. I'm Steve the person who happens to be good at marketing and who has a a skill set that is you know, it's formed through the background and through the, uh, to use a um, speed metal example, it's forged through the fire and flames. Uh, if you get to <laughs> yes. points, um, and, um, you like that, didn't you? And, uh, and, um, uh, you know, and, and so it's, it's something about opening up and, and letting people see the real you, um, that I think come into the real life backgrounds. Uh, the least interesting people are the most closed up ones, the ones that you don't know anything about. Mm. Um, the only exception is when you know just enough that there's mystery. Um, yeah, and, but, and that's, mystery. but that's an exception. That, yeah. that, that that many times that is an intentional, it's intentional. Exactly. Designed. That's an intentional way in order for them to draw attention to themselves. Yeah. 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 That, I, I think about uh, this might even be a bad example, but off the top of my head, I'm thinking of The Undertaker, right? And wrestling. Mm -hmm. like there's, there's, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's obviously this whole persona that is set up and it is intriguing enough that you probably want to Google like what, what's the bad. And I've, I've done this, you know, <laughs> um, so I know it's true. Um, but it, it's, it's all, it's all a persona, right? It's all intentional. They want you to do that. That's not ultimately very interesting. Um, you might even argue that it's fake. 
I'm talking about opening up and being super vulnerable about the person you actually are. Oftentimes will allow people to see something in you that, uh, that makes you interesting. And kind of to go along with that, but also kind of shift it to something that's more um, applicable and real to just the day in and day out life. So yeah, like we watch Charles Oliveira in the fights and, but even like taking it to people around you in your own life, um, think about your job or church members or even family members, um, people you're getting to know. I typically think about work. When you first start like a, a new job somewhere, I'm thinking about a lot because I'll be starting next week. Um, all you know is that, okay, this guy is the CFO of the company. He knows a lot of stuff about money and how to run a business. And, right. and that's about it. Yeah. And then once you, man, all it takes is like a lunch out to eat or a half hour where you're not talking about business and you can find out a lot about the background of someone that really gives you insight into a few different things because we're talking about the importance of the background. So if I'm wanting to relate to someone, well, there's so many benefits knowing the background story of other people. One, how they operate gives you insight to how they operate. Two, how they might think about certain ideas or things that come up. So if they make a decision on something, it might give you insight to that. And then I mean, a third really big one is just relatable. If you really know how to connect with people, um, doesn't mean you change who you are, or your personality, but you can um, be a lot more relatable someone when you have a connection or understand their backstory. And that is very important in any in every aspect of your life. Oh, man. Oh, this is so good. I was worried this might happen because now I'm starting uh, to think this might go more than <laughs> hours. Oh, no. Uh, um, uh, uh, two specific examples based on what you just said. Yeah. Um, this might sound silly, but so, you know, I, I worked in an office environment for, for six years and I always said I never wanted to work in an office environment, but I did it for six years and uh, it was a fantastic place to work. Um, and uh, I'd work there again, you know, in a heartbeat if I had to. Um, but one of the interesting ways that you found out about people, even without talking to them, um, of all things, was casual Friday. <laughs> uh, right you're in a law firm you're in a law firm everybody looks dresses you know it's it's all the, you it's all the same because there's a standard because there's a dress code but every now and then the casual 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 friday comes in and you as silly as it sounds i mean it, it, you know it, there's so an example is one of the like the managing partner at the firm even if it was casual friday you know, forget about it. He's in a suit and tie and the whole nine yards mm -hmm. anyway. And that sort of tells you something. About Gives you a lot of that. Yep. He is. I yep. mean, you know, he, he he dresses up when he comes into the office by himself on a Sunday, you know. Yep. And, um, and, and but whereas another guy, um, another attorney might come in wearing bow shoes, a polo shirt and like a little scarf thing around his neck and some plaid shorts. And you're like, OK. So this dude goes golfing and immediately like, you know, like a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, you start to get some insight yeah. into, into who they are as people from something as simple as casual Friday in an office. And so I would just say Without like, even words spoken. Yeah, exactly. Like pay attention, start paying attention to that stuff. And maybe it even leads you to conversations. What, why do you, why do you look like that? You know, why do you, where are you headed? You know, I mean, um, you know, it can spark things like that and, and really um, help you gain interest. It's interesting. Um, just uh, I'm really just kind of piggybacking off of you, but I had um, with a different company, the one that I hired on with, but a few weeks ago, I interviewed for a place and um, one of the uh, people in the company who was getting, kind of getting close to retirement, he, uh, I was going into his office for an interview and 
I am from Maine. I know I don't sound like it. I actually have a pretty just flat way of talking. Um, but he, um, I step into his office and immediately I see pictures of Fenway Park and Red Sox in New England. And the first words out of his mouth were an accent that was true New England. And so immediately within, within the span of less than five seconds, I, I, I just, I just knew, okay, this guy likes sports. He likes baseball. He's a Red Sox fan. He's probably a New England fan all around. That's where I grew up. I mean, and your mind works so fast just within that span of time. And, um, it's, it's just, uh, it is very interesting how within a, a short amount of time you can really connect with people and even say if friends and say, if it wasn't, um, the Red Sox, if it was something with a certain type of sport, I'm not too much into golf, but if I see golf that it still gives me a clue on maybe the kind of person he is, he's probably, um, maybe meticulous, especially if he's really into it. And I'm um, very, you know, concentrated and calculated. And just by the way that people, like what you said, casual Friday, um, just by the way that people dress, how they behave and their interests, you kind of, and granted some assumptions are wrong, um, but you can kind of generally know how you're going to interact with someone. It gives you really great insight into their background and you're already formulating these things about them. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And and this is even possible in a situation like uh, I mentioned Basecamp in the last episode a couple of times, so I'll mention it again. Um, Basecamp, uh, the project management software, has this a really sweet feature called automatic check-ins. And what it allows you to do, because, um, again, Basecamp it was built by a company that works entirely remote. And so for for 20 years now, way before it was cool to work remote, they have been thinking through and literally designing a project or excuse me, designing a product um, to meet the need of, of remote working. And so one of the challenges you face is, well, when you're all working remote, how do you connect mm. on the people level? There's no water cooler. What do you do? So they have a feature called automatic check-ins that, of course, serves a business purpose, but also ser can serve a personal purpose. And, and basically, you can set the software to to there's some custom or rather there's some default ones that it comes with. But of course, you can add as many custom ones as you like um, and what or turn them off entirely. But but it's this feature that essentially taps you on the shoulder and pings you for a response. So, for example, I have one that that goes out um, at the end of every day to people that says basically what did you work on to you know today like explain mm -hmm. the work that you did so that everybody can be catching up but uh, at the at the beginning of every month there's one that goes out that says what books have you read lately um and or you can you could do other ones so finding out more and more and i guess you know i get as as we're i don't know i don't know if we're drawing this to a close here or not probably pretty soon but i guess what i would want to say here is just like you have to open up you in order to in, in order to get other people to see these things about you or to really connect at a deep level. That's what I want to say to really connect at a deep, you can't connect deeply with anybody unless you know more uh, about them. I mean, it'd be, it'd be ridiculous to think that you were, you could connect with your spouse if you were, um, you know, on, a, on any kind of deep level, if you never talked about the, the, the most personal mm -hmm. things to you, you know, you're not going to, you know, a spouse is not a, a, a transactional sort of relationship it's, it's much more emotional um and the same is often true just with, with people that you regularly do life with and i think this is why when we look to influencers um the same is true there as well because when we get sort of this background detail it sort of feels like you know them 
um, even if they, even if you really don't, even if you don't in real life, it sort of starts to feel more like you know them and can identify with them. And, uh, and I just think it's a, a very, very powerful thing. So be open, be vulnerable, be willing to share your life with other people, let people in, give people the ability within reason to even speak into your life maybe. Um, and, and, and maybe help call things out where, where there are problems and that goes into a whole different sort of thing. But, but yeah, I mean, the idea is just sort of open up and, um, and be vulnerable with people. Yeah. To kind of put a ribbon on it or a bow on it, however you want to, <laughs> however you say it. Um, it, it's to kind of make a, a very, a link to the real world, to the fictional world that I often switch between back and forth. Um, so kind of what you were saying for influencers, like someone like Joe Rogan, there's a couple others. If I were to, um, well, I'll use Lex Freeman as an other example. I listen to him a little bit more. If I were to run into Lex on the street um, even though he has no idea who I am in my head, cause I've heard him talk so much and I know so much about him. I would, you know, say hi to him with a smile in almost like talking to like a friend or an acquaintance that I'm already familiar with. And that's from someone who I have not asked a single question to in my life. He knows nothing about me. That is just me knowing, learning about him. And I have that connection. And to make that kind of apple, I know we're talking about real life backgrounds, but just to kind of link it back to the first part in this series about fiction is you can really create a, you know, a believable person and create a life of someone. And even though that is a fictional person, man, you can relate to fictional characters just as well oh, yeah. as you can to real life characters um, in a kind of scary way, but a very um just effective way to tell a story um but kind of like what you were saying too um yeah the, the backgrounds of people just uh kind of going into my own little rant now but um have a curiosity for people um just a half hour yeah. conversation you'd be really surprised what it, people like what steve said too people like generally generally speaking people like to open up they like to talk about themselves they like to talk about especially down south man that uh, you can go in a check out aisle yeah. you know how many kids someone has you know what ages they are how they do in school and within a span of 30 seconds so if you have a curiosity for people and just ask questions and you can you'll have all your little worlds of people that are in it you know this this person has their own little world and you'll know a little bit more about that and their background and um just a lot will open up and um it just it's an interesting life out there <laughs> it is man it, it 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 is it's uh it's powerful stuff and the stories of of people are you know people should be commended i think for 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 being open and, and for sharing and uh it, it, this is the core i mean this is how i want to kind of wrap it up i mean this is the yep. core of human connection right i mean th this is this is why stories matter so much because stories talk about what's real um you know it's it's you know when you're doing marketing and when you're doing fiction you are in a sense actually doing some fabrication um but the the fabrication is a very much a a uh not a shadow but but it's it's very much uh based on the real life application of these things and so it's actually it should be a shame if there's it's a shame if there's more color in fiction and marketing than in someone's real life 
Um, and so it's because real life is just so much more interesting once mm-hmm. you, once you actually dig into it and, you know, it can be so much more impactful. Um, you know, before we move on to story of the week, you know, one of the big things that I did want to actually bring up here, even if briefly was the idea of, of, of mission, you know, like I'm thinking of, you know, Tom's shoes is a really great example or Zox's wristbands, um, or the, there's one that's uh, specifically geared towards, um, um, like digging wells, uh, of water. Um, you know, any of these these brands and these businesses um, that, you know, this is obviously not the individual level. This is more at the, at the corporate level, but you know, you have, you, you have companies who are sort of showing their heart, showing their mission, showing their real life story when they contribute to causes that matter. And um, well, sure. Some of them mm-hmm. are doing this intentionally mm-hmm. as a marketing ploy. Um, I would argue that most of them are not. And I, th- I think it's probably unfair to make the assumption that that they are, um, I think it's I think it's a I think it's more fair to make the assumption that these companies are, are run by good people who, um, at least many of them, most of them maybe do want to actually see some real um, change happen in the world. And so I think those sorts of causes should be celebrated, and that can sort of let you into the the beliefs and fundamental like you know yeah the fundamental beliefs of the people who found these companies and pour their lives into them when they're trying to to actually impact change in the real world. So I think that is another thing to look out for with this, um, why it's important to get into the backgrounds and maybe even, you know, actually, um, this is a, a good bit of advice that Dave Ramsey has given, um, when it comes to financial stuff. So he has a, um, I think it's called the Ramsey. It might be called the Ramsey fund, although I think that's wrong. I think it has a, a better name than that. Um, but it's basically, there's a giving in a sense, you know, there's a nonprofit sort of element to the whole Dave Ramsey financial enterprise, and they are very selective with who they they give to. They do a lot of research. They do a lot of um, digging into those real life stories and seeing what the company or or what the what the mission is really about. And that's so that stuff matters, right? It it just these these real life story things actually do matter, and so we should be paying attention to them and um, even you know thinking about them in our own lives. So, so mm. that's that. Excellent. I think that yeah. uh, that wraps it up very nicely. Um, I good. really enjoyed this uh, series that we've been doing on backstory. It's been great. I love it. Yeah, this is this is fantastic. A fun little thing. Hey, let us know. You know, if you're if you're listening, watching. You know, I mean, let us know if you like this. If you like sort of these little mini series, I I love it. Actually, I think it's kind of a, a it was good. It was to, a good change of pace. Absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of a cool way to to cover the gamut of one uh, one piece of a topic without a two hour long episode kind of a little bit. So yeah, absolutely. So that's good. All right, Steve, what is your story of the week? Wow. My story of the week is simply a quote. It is a quote from none other than Dr. Ian Malcolm, the notorious uh, scientist from the Jurassic Park series. And uh, I was watching the lost world Jurassic Park, which, you know, man, stories, dude, stories like so cool that basically the, the lost world Jurassic Park was, roughly based on the framework of the the was it the crite was it was it who who wrote the original was it crite crite yeah, wrote yeah, the original Crite. Michael yeah. Crite, yeah. who wrote the original lost uh lost world was that right or is it yeah no it was him it was him yeah unless yeah unless i'm really mistaken but i'm pretty sure it's it's great yeah i thought i thought so Any, anyway it's just it's just kind of cool that that uh i mean because the lost world originally was not like part of a Jurassic Park thing, but it's actually a really cool mm. backstory how they, they sort of, you know, use those elements and, and contextualize the whole, I said that word a lot, but contextualize the whole um, Lost World theme into the Jurassic Park uh, series. I mm. thought that was neat. Anyway, 
um, near the beginning of the uh, movie, um, Dr. John Hammond, the creator of Jurassic Park, has invited um, Dr. Malcolm to to come there. And basically, uh, Dr. Hammond um, has had a sort of change of heart um, with everything that has gone on. His you know, He feels terrible about the events that happened on Isla Nublar uh, at the original Jurassic Park site. And wants to, you know, people at, at, who are trying to overtake his company want to come in and and um, sort of take the second island that nobody knew that there was called Isla Sorna, yeah. uh, more where a lot of the research and stuff was happening and sort of turn that again into another um, attraction. And, and Dr. John Hammond was trying to avoid that. And what he wanted to do was send a team of people in to make a documentary, essentially, um, to sort of get public support for leaving this place alone and letting it flourish without uh, human intervention. And um, Ludlow, I think, um, something, Peter Ludlow, I think is the name of the character, um, who is sort of overtaking InGen, which is Dr. John Hammond's uh, company or or was. And um, so Ludlow is there and Dr. Ian Malcolm shows up and basically Dr. Hammond wants to talk Ian Malcolm as well as some others into going on an expedition to the island to create this documentary to get public support for, for leaving it alone. And uh, Dr. Malcolm gets there, finds out what uh, what this Ludlow character is trying to do and starts, you know, they get into a little bit of a of a squabble. And the guy's talking about how, oh, if I, you know, if, if I remember correctly, all, you you lost all of your research grants. You lost your tenure, your, you know, your tenured position at this place. And, you know, like people wrote you off as a crack, you know, doctor and this that, and the other thing. And um, um, I guess what he was getting to is you know, all the, the different headlines and the different versions of the truth that the different, um, you know, CNN and all the different news outlets were trying to spin. And see, Dr. Malcolm, uh, he was there. He knows exactly what happens. No spin, no politicizing, you know, no whatever. And so um, Ludlow was saying, oh, there's all these different versions of the truth. You know, he said, that's your version of the truth or whatever. And uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm said something that he could, he could probably replace a dozen philosophy books with this one <laughs> With this one just masterful sentence that just cuts right to the heart of it. And he says this, there aren't any versions of the truth. There aren't any versions of the truth. And that, I think that's just super powerful. You know, um, there aren't. If something is objectively true, there aren't, there aren't multiple versions of that. There is one objective truth. And this applies across so many different areas of life that we don't have time to necessarily get into here. But, um, right, it's true. There aren't any versions of the truth. It's an impactful statement. It's a real thing. And I think uh, that once you embrace that in your life, in your business, as mm. you interact with the world around you, because uh, everybody talks about your truth, my truth, this, that, and the other, but it's all a lie. Uh, and once you can get that in your head and realize that, only the truth is the truth and there's one version of it, then that saves you from a whole lot of uh, heartache and hardship trying to navigate through life. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a great quote. It's a, it's just, it's just a great case in point. <laughs> I agree. Isn't it? Isn't it? It's all good. Um, so my story of the week, um, I, much like Steve, we're both kind of the same, um, same bucket here, but we, uh, um, we love space and I, I love space. It's just, it's just so cool. It's so big. And it's just, it's just so great. All the stuff that we can learn about it. And um, yes, it's just an interesting place. Everything about it. So uh, my story of the week has to do with set the Sagittarius A black hole. So the black hole in the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Um, so I'm just, I'm just going to read this in the article just because it's interesting. It's the first time that they've been able to take a picture of it. Um I won't go into all the detail, but essentially it's been really hard to find. They gave an example 
I forget specifically, but it's like trying to find like a speck through like a telescope somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's very tricky to find, but they ended up finding and they took a picture. And so um, I'll just read here. The release of the picture is the latest in a series of developments. Our knowledge of these elusive and mysterious objects income three years after the imaging of the supermassive black hole in the center of the, uh, I'm going to mispronounce it, Messier 87 galaxy. Sagittarius A, the Milky Way black hole, lies in the center of the Milky Way, 26,000 light years away from Earth, and can be seen in the night sky as part of the Sagittarius constellation. Despite being 4 million times more massive than our sun, Sagittarius A is still about 1,000 times smaller than the M87 supermassive black hole. And at that point, you're just like throwing out numbers. It's just... It's hard to imagine, it's hard to imagine any way that something is four million times more, and who knows how exact that is, I don't know how they measure it, but obviously we know it's big, we know it's a lot bigger than our sun. Four million times more massive than our sun, and it's still a thousand times smaller than the other black hole that they um, discovered to take a picture of. How do you even begin to, like, it's unfathomable, right? I mean, it's it's almost inconceivable. At that point, it's just like, it, it's big. Like, and even that, it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting it's big, though. It's small, trust me. Right? Well, what's even harder, have you ever heard about how, well, so getting into a little off topic, but so you have discrete and then you have continuous. So discrete is you have one step, two step, three step. Continuous is like time or weight or length. It's something that just goes and goes and goes. And so if you could put yourself outside the universe and like see the whole universe as it exists today um if you zoomed out far enough the universe would look like a speck um it just would you'd see like a a ball of light but as you keep zooming in and zooming in and zooming in then you start seeing the galaxies get bigger and then pretty soon you're you know and nothing and then if you keep zooming in on earth earth's a tiny speck you can't even see then you get to earth but then when you get to our planet and you're looking at an ant it still doesn't stop you go to that ant and again, space and length are continuous. So you can zoom into the ant and then the atoms in the ant and the nucleus and electrons. And you, when yeah. you get down to that level, again, the length is continuous. And so you can still, you can never stop getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, it's yeah. just, it's just a funny concept. It's all relative to what you're comparing things to. Yeah. Now here's a crazy one. Okay. I, I I read in a book, and I, I, if, if, I, if I'm remembering this correctly, I read in a book and interviewed the author of the book. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I just can't remember for sure if it was his book, but I'm almost certain it was. Mm-hmm. That um, based, on, based on the known, again, based on information that we know, yeah. the known biggest whatever and the known smallest whatever that there is. Based on that scale, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, human beings are almost dead in the middle. Allegedly, so if you take the I see what you're saying. Uh, of this of the scale of the scale of the right of the scale uh, of the of scale, the scale of, yeah. of the relative scale of things that we know, if you were to put the if you were to put the very smallest thing we're aware of and the very biggest thing that we're aware of at the very end, the proportional the, increase would be. What would fall in the yeah. middle is is about the size of a human being. <laughs> yeah, uh, about the size of an average human being. And of course, you know, I mean, you know, frankly, religious people, Christians um, specifically, 
I mean, obviously, there's this is not this is not a deductive logical argument for God, but it is a oh, that's interesting. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's one very, of those. Yeah, it's, it's one uh, of those. Oh, well, this doesn't seem like a coincidence. You sort of get you thinking, sort of things. It, again, assuming it's true, um, it's it's very. Uh, it's, I don't. I think it's very fascinating. It, it is. Just, it's, it's kind of hard to ignore, right? If it's true. So. And it just tells me that there we know like a fraction of a fraction of a percent of everything that's that's in our physical world. I know. It, right? it, it's scary. I've just read today too that only like less than. I don't know how quite true it is, but I've heard similar stats. It's like less than 20% of the ocean has actually been like viewed, or like looked at. Yeah. So there's I, know, I know all Elon's trying to go to Mars and I'm like, can we just please go to the ocean? Like that seems I think really cool too. It was either so. Elon or Joe Rogan said like, why are we looking for aliens when we have like octopuses? Like, like just look in the ocean. You'll find all the aliens you want. <laughs> right like insane <laughs> dude like it's it's yeah the ocean's wild man so I'm, uh, anyway i want to see civilizations in the ocean just just like i want to see them on mars so absolutely be- absolutely all right steve all right very good uh how fun very fun episode y'all thanks for listening hope you've enjoyed this one and uh yeah tell some people about it share it with others that's how the podcast is going to grow it's not going to grow unless you tell them because these things really just go through word of mouth so let people know about story world if you're if you're if you're into it and uh, we'll see you guys on the next one see you next time